0: Welcome to Economics Echo, the podcast that provides in-depth analysis of the latest business trends, economic data and market moving policies. Zooming in on how this all affects ordinary people. Ever wondered why there are tensions in the first place between Russia and Ukraine? Well, American officials have warned of the very distinct possibility of a Russian invasion of Ukraine in the next few days. This is after Russia four deployed hundreds of tanks, self-propelled um, artillery, and even short-range ballistic missiles from as far away as Siberia to within striking range. Moscow's rhetoric has grown more belligerent, uh, Vladimir Putin has demanded legal guarantees Uh, Ukraine will never, ever join NATO or host its missile strike systems. Concessions, he's unlikely to receive, and I think President Putin knows that. Um, We've seen a flurry of diplomatic activity, which has done little to ease tensions. If anything, it's actually kind of, you know, kind of fanned the flames for more tension, I think. Um, But Putin is also short on time. His troops cannot remain out of garrison indefinitely. By late winter, he'll probably have to launch an attack or draw down his forces in what would look like a retreat. In the meantime, we've seen the United Kingdom, the United States, and others um, telling their citizens to leave Ukraine and that particular Eastern European region um, expeditiously, really. Um, And then we bring it to Monday of this week with new developments. Um, and yeah, I think we can safe to say that things took a turn for the worst. Um, but actually it started off kind of, okay. We thought things were looking more positive when there were reports in the media that president Biden and president Putin had agreed to meet up, um, at a summit in order to discuss the crisis in Ukraine and these tensions diplomatically, um, and resolve their, their issues, which sounded, you know, hunky-dory and all that. But then um, throughout the day, uh, things then looked a bit, bit more bleak, shall we say, when President Putin um, effectively said he doesn't recognize agreeing to a meeting with President Putin, uh President Biden at a summit. Um, so he kind of, you know, Shut that down. Um, And then President Putin later on in the day, he held a meeting with the Security Council. And after the meeting, he uh, announced that he would make a decision on whether to recognize the um, independent, recognize the separatists in the Donbass region of eastern Ukraine. um, Particularly, we're speaking of uh, the Luhansk and um, Donetsk um, regions, or uh, jurisdictions within the Donbass region. Um, and he did, effectively, he did, in the end, sign a decree um, recognizing these separatists, um, the separatist movement in that region as independent entities away from Ukraine. And then later on in the day, he then sent in troops to kind of effectively defend those independent separatists, Russian speaking, um, in the eastern Donbass region. And then things kind of, you know, the anti was up again, tensions were rising. Um, The United States then signed a um, executive order, President Biden signed an executive order that would um, prohibit new investment trade and financing by US persons to and from um, the so-called Donbas and uh, Donetsk and Luhansk regions of Ukraine, um, and the th- that executive order would provide authority to impose sanctions on any person determined to operate in those areas. Um, yeah, and they also said additional measures will be related or applied to to uh, to today's blatant violation of Russia's international commitments i.e. the MISC agreements et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah, tensions are definitely up. Um, and, um, yeah, we'll, we'll look into sanctions for now and then why, why in particular they don't really, they have been less effective or uh, aren't effective against Russia's economy. What are the stumbling blocks in effectively having sanctions that change Putin's calculus, change Putin's um, thinking, and change his behavior uh, potentially Um, yeah we'll get into that let's look into it as always on the economics echo podcast a bit of background and we'll begin with a general overview of the economy of russia Um, russia is indeed a mixed economy with enormous enormous natural resources particularly oil and natural gas It is the fifth largest economy in Europe, the world's 11th largest economy by nominal GDP, and the sixth largest by purchasing power parity, or PPP, which is pretty much a measurement of prices in different countries that use the prices of specific goods to compare the absolute purchasing power of the country's currency. Now, Russia's vast uh, geography is an important determinant of its economic activity, with some sources actually estimating that the nation contains over 30% of the world's natural resources. Back in 2016, the oil and gas sector accounted for 36% of federal budget revenues, and Russia has been widely described as an energy superpower as it has the world's largest natural gas reserves, the second largest coal reserves, the eighth largest oil reserves, and the largest oil shale reserves in Europe. It is also the world's leading natural gas exporter, the second largest natural gas producer, and the second largest oil exporter and producer. Now, Russia's foreign exchange reserves are the world's fifth largest. Um, and it also has a labor force of roughly 70 million people, which is the world's sixth largest. Um, and also, you know, for those who may or may not know, Russia also has a large automotive industry, which ranks as the world's world's tenth largest by production. And incidentally, you know, as we're talking about, you know, military type stuff and sanctions and all that it also has a large and sophisticated arms industry capable of designing and manufacturing high-tech military equipment and is the world's second largest exporter of arms. Now Russia incidentally also has the world's fifth largest number of billionaires so that's just a quick overview and you can already pinpoint from that where the international community could potentially uh, strike or um, target um, the russian economy with sanctions in order to effectively change the kremlin's behavior in whatever regard of course here we're talking about geopolitics um, for this instance let's talk sanctions shall we because Sanctions have effectively become one of the most favoured tools for governments to respond to various foreign policy challenges such as terrorism and conflict. Now sanctions can include a whole array of things including travel bans, asset freezes, arms embargoes and even trade restrictions. Now, the United States has more than two dozen sanctions regimes. Some target specific countries, such as Cuba and the Islamic Republic of Iran. Others are aimed at curbing activities, including terrorism and drug trafficking. Now, governments often and multinational bodies like the United Nations often impose economic sanctions, which is actually what this episode is all about, to try to alter the strategic decisions of state and non-state actors that threaten their interests or violate international norms of behaviour. Having said that though, critics say sanctions are often poorly conceived and rarely successful in changing a target's uh, conduct. While supporters, on the other hand, contend that they've become more effective in recent years and remain an essential foreign policy tool, sanctions have, you know, become the most defining feature of the Western powers' response to several um, geopolitical challenges, including, um, if you look at North Korea's nuclear program and um, Russia's intervention in Crimea, for example, in recent years. The United States has expanded the use of sanctions, um, applying them and ramping them up against adversaries in Iran, Russia, Syria, Venezuela, etc. And for this particular episode, again, we're going into economic sanctions. And these are really defined as the withdrawal of customary trade and financial relations for foreign and security policy purposes. Now, sanctions can be uh, maybe comprehensive, prohibiting commercial activity uh, with regard to an entire country like the longstanding U.S. embargo of Cuba. Or they may be targeted blocking uh, transactions by and with particular businesses, groups or individuals. And if we, you know, rewind back to 9-11, since then, there's been a pronounced shift toward targeted or so-called smart sanctions, which aim to minimize the suffering of innocent civilians. Now, sanctions can take a variety of forms, including travel bans, asset freezes, arms embargoes, uh, capital restraints, foreign aid reductions and trade restrictions. So when are sanctions used? When are they really imposed um, and implemented? Well, as stated before, national governments and international bodies um, have imposed economic sanctions in order to um, coerce, deter, punish, or even shame uh, particular entities that endanger their interests or violate international norms of behaviour. Sanctions have been used to advance a range of foreign policy goals, including counterterrorism, counter narcotics, non proliferation, democracy and human rights promotion, conflict resolution, and even cybersecurity. Sanctions, while a form of intervention, are generally viewed as a lower cost, lower risk course of action between diplomacy on the one hand and just straight war on the other. Now policymakers may consider sanctions as a response to foreign policies, uh, foreign policy crises, in which the national interest is less than is less than vital, or where military action is not really feasible. And leaders have, on occasion, issued sanctions while they have evaluated more punitive action. For example, look at the UN Security Council. They imposed comprehensive sanctions against Iraq four days after um, Saddam Hussein's invasion of Kuwait back in August 1990. And the Security Council did not authorize the use of military force until months later after that. In order to properly assess whether sanctions do indeed work or not on Russia's economy, We have to look to the past by asking the question, have sanctions on Russia changed Putin's calculus? And we'll do this by rewinding back to the year 2014. So since then, you know, Russia has invaded Ukraine's region of Crimea. And as a result, Western powers have hit Moscow with economic sanctions, hoping to put a stop to President Putin's aggression. Have they worked? Well, we're going to look at the various arguments surrounding that. So, a little bit of background around this. The United States and the European Union have steadily ratcheted up sanctions on Russia since its 2014 invasion of Ukraine. The West's goals included punishing Moscow, pushing it to withdraw from Crimea, deterring it from further aggression, and effectively just signalling that national borders must be respected. But nearly a decade on from that, what is there to show for all those sanctions? And I guess we could answer that question by asking another question, what is the state of Russia's economy? So from um, 2014 to 2015, Russia's economy actually went through its longest recession in almost 20 years. An enormous slump as oil prices plummeted and the value of the country's currency, the ruble, effectively crashed. Now, since then, um, up until the coronavirus pandemic, of course, um, the economy was actually on an upward trajectory. You know, growth, though slow, had returned, and the unemployment rate was actually close to a historic low. Now, sceptics point out that the fruits of the rebound have been mostly accrued over to the rich, and real wages actually continued to fall. While the you know Moscow stock market was booming, a third of the country um, couldn't afford to buy a second pair of shoes. That's according to the country's official statistics agency. Now, having said all of that, we kind of have to kind of dissect and see how much of this can actually be attributed To the economic sanctions that were um, imposed on Russia's economy. And this is a tricky one. Um, Analysts have long said that it's difficult, it's hard to separate the effects of sanctions from other factors. You know, Russia's initial slump was the result of a steep collapse in the price of oil. So, you know, back then between 2014 and 2016 crude oil prices actually fell from $115 per barrel to $35. And this is significant because oil and gas production accounts for 30% of Russia's GDP and over half of its government budget. And as oil prices rebounded, partly due to um, Russia's coordination with OPEC, which is the um, cartel, the organization for Um, oil and gas exporting countries, so did the Russia's economy. Now, other developments which could have played a role too include the United States Federal Reserve, the central bank over there, with its, you know, slowing its monetary tightening. You know, lower interest rates often help emerging economies with high levels of debt denominated in U.S. dollars, such as Russia's. Um, And sanctions appear to have a modest effect with the IMF estimating that they have shaved off between 1% and 1.5% of Russia's economic output. You know, a 2019 report by um, the CRS, which is the Congressional Research Service, says this was partly intentional. Policymakers effectively just wanted to target individuals responsible for Russia's bad behavior without hurting ordinary Russian citizens or the United States and European Union's businesses. And this has really prompted complaints that sanctions have lacked the economic bite that they should have. Um, CRS analysts, however, point out that many of the measures prioritise long-term impact over short-term pain. And sanctions advocates emphasise that the uncertainty that results from sanctions could continue to drag on GDP in the coming years. Okay then, but then here's the multi-billion dollar question with all of that being said and done. Have sanctions actually changed Russia's behaviour? And there doesn't appear to be much of an immediate effect as it stands you know, which is a disappointment to policymakers who imposed these sanctions on Russia's economy and hoped it would deter Russian um, interventionism, if you like. Um, Russia is still active in Ukraine, um, in Belarus, um, across much of the Eastern Front. And according to Western intelligence agencies, Moscow has meddled in United States and European elections. Additionally, um they russia has been suspe- suspected of um utilizing russian uh, secret service agents which used a banned nerve agent in the attempted assassination of the ex spy sergei skripal on uk back in 2018 some experts disagree though arguing that sanctions have actually dissuaded russia from even more aggressive action in Ukraine. Others believe deteriorating economic conditions have cut into um, public support for the for the Russian president and weakened his position. On the other hand, some suggest sanctions may have actually backfired by boosting that elite support for Putin. Still, others argue that without clearly stated objectives for Russia to meet for um, sanctions relief, Russia will effectively view the sanctions regime as indefinite, given it no incentive to change their behavior. In any event, whatever the outcome, the debate over the effectiveness of sanctions is an old one and uh, expected to continue long, long after this um this particular episode that we're all seeing unfold. Um, in Eastern Europe when it comes to Ukraine. Having all but ruled out engaging militarily with Russia, directly at least, were it to invade Ukraine, the West's main weapons are economic. So earlier this month, um, the Americans and the Brits vowed measures on a scale never seen before. The mother of all sanctions was how Bob Menendez, chairman of the US Senate's foreign relations committee described the package being assembled by the chamber now president joe biden says vladimir putin his russian counterpart has never seen sanctions like the ones he's promising will be imposed now for sanctions to work though western allies will need to show unity and be willing to shoulder some economic pain themselves and if history is any guide to this it suggests that this may be their greatest challenge. The Senate is expected to approve its package any day now. Um, some of the sanctions being drafted could be implemented before any invasion, in response to activities Russia has already undertaken, such as uh, cyber attacks or, you know, recognizing the um, eastern Donbas region as independent. Now, the administration's sanctions will target figures and companies in or close to Mr. Putin's inner circle, as well as the relatives they sometimes use as a um, asset-owning proxies, essentially. Now, the aim will be to cut targets off from the global financial system and go after money they've parked in the West. Britain is working closely with the Americans. Um, back in late January, its foreign secretary, Liz Truss, announced a new sanctions law. The goal there was to widen the group of Putin cronies who can then be penalized. And Britain has actually sanctioned 180 Russian individuals and 48 entities since Russia's annexation of Crimea in 2014. The new penalties mistrust promise can be slapped on anyone providing strategic support to Mr. Putin's regime. Now, Britain's stance is closely watched because rich Russians have, if you didn't already know, have strong financial ties to the country. London is a key capital raising centre for oligarchs and their companies. These measures are expected to form part of a broader package of sanctions focused on finance, energy and technology. America may target Russian state-linked banks, including Spurbank, which is a big savings giant. Um, Mr. Biden also wants to keep open the option resisted by some European countries of excluding Russian banks from SWIFT, which is um, the interbank messaging system um, used to make cross-border transfers. In energy, the talk in Washington, D.C. is of broadening sanctions to target not just current production, but investment too. One way would be to restrict capital raising by Russian oil and gas giants in New York and London. Um, And America has also threatened to prevent the opening of Nord Stream 2, a pipeline that would um, send Russian gas directly into Europe. Technology is arguably America's most powerful lever. It could, for instance, um, block more exports of high-tech gear on the commerce department's entity list, Now, This would restrict Russia's access not only to items used by its defense sector, but also to parts used in many phones and appliances, which would inconvenience ordinary Russian consumers as well as its weapons makers. The last economy of any size to be hit with broad sanctions like this was Iran, which was targeted with um, maximum pressure sanctions back in 2018 over its nuclear ambitions. Now, punishing Russia poses a more daunting challenge as its economy is more um, internationally connected than the Islamic Republic's. Um, So for sanctions to be effective, they will have to cause pain to the West itself. Um, And the most obvious blowback would be in energy. Now, Europe relies on Russia for over a third of its imported natural gas. Um, Some large European banks also have close ties to Russia. Among the most exposed are Societe Generale of France, um, Unicredit of Italy, and the European Central Bank itself has reportedly the asked the most heavily exposed of the 115 large Eurozone banks, it supervisors, to provide details of how they would navigate various sanctions scenarios from the mild to the absolute extreme. Now, these risks, risks leave some of America's European allies feeling a little bit, how shall I put it, queasy, shall we say. Um, Germany gets over half of its imported gas from Russia and has wobbled, shall we say, on sanctioning Nord Stream 2. Um, though many think it will end up agreeing to do so, um, even Britain's commitment is uncertain. Um, campaigners say it has failed to use its leverage as a major financial center. Um, Its Crimea-related sanctions of 2014-15 contained scant restrictions on Russians raising capital in London. The other big question is how much even severe sanctions would hurt the Russian economy, Um, because Mr. Putin's officials have gone to great lengths um, in recent years to sanction proof the, the Russian economy. Um, central bank reserves have been beefed up to more than $600 billion. The share in dollars has fallen steadily in recent years. Um, dollar holdings that the Russian central bank has, that has fallen to 16%. Only a fifth of Russian's, uh, Russia's sovereign bonds are held by foreigners as well. Nevertheless, insulating the economy fully is merely impossible in this um global village that we live in today and russian officials have boasted you know having said that though russian officials have boasted of riding out the um the um the crimea related sanctions relatively comfortably um you could say yet one study suggests that the sanctions may have taken more than 2.5% um percentage points of annual russian gdp growth since they were imposed back in 2014 15 the sanctions mr biden is contemplating could therefore cause intense pain but the big question still is can he get all of his allies on board and the big the the the, the big question mark there will be germany germany especially with um, if sanctions on Nord Stream 2 come into place, how will Germany react? Will they, will they, will they, will they jump on board too with the Americans and the Brits? Meanwhile, several um, foreign policy experts have offered their expertise in how to um, develop sound sanctions policies that can actually make a real difference. And I think these two in particular are the most relevant when it comes to Russia. One is to, if you're going to implement sanctions on Russia, is to build multilateral support. So the more governments that sign on to and enforce the sanctions, the better, especially in cases where the target is economically diversified. Um, Sanctions against um, South Africa's apartheid regime back in the 1980s Saddam Hussein's Iraq in the 1990s or on um, Iran and even Russia today would not be nearly as powerful without multilateral support. So that's point number one, I think, is really key. Point number two is to be credible and flexible. The target must believe that sanctions, sanctions must be increased or reduced based on its behavior. Back in 20, uh, 2012, The Obama administration responded to major political reforms um, in Myanmar by easing some financial and investment restrictions, and it ended the sanctions program in 2016. In this case, however, Myanmar's leaders soon ramped up abuses against their country's Rohingya minority, and the United States reimposed those sanctions um, in early 2019. So I think those two are really the best practices that um the West, NATO could implement in developing a really well-rounded, well-structured, um and ultimately effective sanctions policy that could make a difference in how it engages um with with their Russian counterparts. But we shall see. We'll see how they turn out. Um the big key as I alluding to is unity. Unity on how um who's on board with these sanctions? Is there multilateral support? And um yeah, are they working together as a unit um against a common enemy, if you will? Well, that has been it for episode sixty-five of the Economics Echo podcast. Be sure to subscribe from your favorite podcast provider and join us next week in part two of this two-part series looking at the Russia and Ukraine crisis. Um, part one, we looked at the politics and economics of sanctions against the Russian economy how and how effective um, they would be and how to make them even more effective. Um, part two, we're going to look specifically in how these sanctions will impact you. Yes, you as the consumer, you as the business owner, you as the ordinary individual, um, and how the impacts could, you know, really reverberate all throughout the global economy. So please do join us for part two of this two-part series looking at the Russia-Ukraine crisis. um, And yeah, we'll specify it in its effects on you. Until then, this is Economics Echo signing out. Peace.